0: Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Thursday, February 7th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 22. This episode is brought to you by Ocean State Organics, our permaculture farm that creates tools for sustaining backyard food production on small plots and in urban areas. If you enjoy this content, please support us by going to www.patreon.com slash oceanstateorganics. Permaculture is a term you may hear often in the regenerative agriculture community. It's used to describe a variety of different methods. When taught correctly, they can be applied in any ecosystem or geography. This episode is part of a two-part series on an introduction to permaculture. Part one is going to look into the history of the permaculture movement. Rooting the discussion as a critique of colonialism in farming, I'm hoping to discuss issues within permaculture, such as white settler dominance over the teachings in permaculture, classism of the organics movement, and indigenous erasure in the history of permaculture principles. Part two will be on urban farming with permaculture, and we'll cover much more of the details concerning how we've actually gone about implementing permaculture strategies on plots of urban land that we've been able to work with. If you're unfamiliar with the term permaculture, that's okay. It's not something that we're really familiar with in the mainstream. And because it's taken on a life of its own, in terms of the ways these teachings have been applied and modified to fit certain needs, it's hard to pin down a definition. Originally, the term was a contraction of the phrase permanent agriculture, the design and implementation of permanent, sustainable, closed-loop agricultural systems, Systems designed in this way aim to have closed energy cycles being modeled on natural ecosystems. These closed cycle systems, where outputs become inputs, require no primary inputs and produce no waste products. This will not be found in simple, single output systems, which is why permaculture design tends to produce multi layered and highly interlinked systems, always looking at natural ecosystems as a model and a guide. These ways of observing and working with nature are the legacy and heritage of indigenous people all over the globe, though they do not call it permaculture. Often they have not heard of the word, but they understand nature's patterns and use them to create polycultural, perennially based, energy efficient homes, gardens, farms, and entire communities. These are found all over the world where remnants of those cultures have been allowed to survive, and they deserve acknowledgement and respect. To learn a bit more about how permaculture systems were developed, we have to understand that several individuals revolutionized the branch of agriculture we now call permaculture today. In 1929, Joseph Russell Smith wrote the book Tree Crops, A Permanent Agriculture, a book which sums up his long experience experimenting with fruits and nuts as crops for human food and animal feed. Smith saw the natural world as an interlocking whole and wrote about the advantages of mixed systems of trees with crops underneath. Masanobu Fukuoka in the late 1930s in Japan began advocating for no-till orchards and gardens as well as natural farming. He's responsible for the now famous book The One Straw Revolution written in 1975. These teachings inspired many other individuals Uh, In Japan and otherwise during the 1930s. In Australia, the 1964 book Water for Every Farm supports the definition of permanent agriculture, which is defined as one that can be sustained indefinitely. This was written by P.A. Yauman and added the importance of an observation-based approach to land use in Australia. This was written in the 1940s and it also used the key line design as a way of managing the supply and distribution of water. Key line landscaping techniques aimed to maximize the beneficial use of water resources on attractive land and these ideas were foundational to developing the earliest books on permaculture. Other early influences included Ruth Stout in the United States and Esther Deans in Australia who pioneered no-dig gardening. Rachel Carson had also just written the book Silent Spring in 1962, with its dire and subsequently validated warnings about the threat of DDT and other pesticides and what they pose on the environment. James Lovelock had conceived and published his Gaia theory, proposing to gain a true understanding of our planet, thinking we should... Think of it as a macro organism or superorganism, when he termed Gaia, with the same self-sustaining and self-regulating feedback mechanisms that are found in all living organisms. Also, a Norwegian philosopher and mountaineer Arne Nass first published his concept of deep ecology at this time. This ultimately called for each individual to recognize their necessary connection with the world. So we see that in mycology and soil microbiology, permaculture and sustainable architecture and engineering, these were all developing around the same time and as a response to what was going on with industrial agriculture, certainly. All of this set the stage for more methodology to develop around sustainable agriculture. But the most credited people as the co-originators of the permaculture concept are Bill Mollison and David Holmgreen. They co-authored a book called Permaculture One, A Perennial Agriculture for Human Settlements, in the late 1970s. Born in 1928 in Australia, Bill Mollison lived between 15 and 28, alone in the Australian bush, working as a trapper, lumberjack, fisherman, and farmer, often in close relationship with Australian indigenous people. From that time, he had gathered a wealth of stories, all of which were received with great enthusiasm from his listeners and they were always about humans and nature in deep contact and harmony with one another. Before the European invasion of Australia in 1788, there were more than 250 indigenous nations, each with several clans. Bill was learning through observation and proximity to the aboriginal way of life. It is clear that Bill Mollison was influenced by many cultures of ancient wisdom and indigenous knowledge. This is not restricted merely to the people of Australia and North America, but also to Celtic influence from European ancestry. You'll find this philosophy woven quite heavily through his revolutionary chapter, A Pattern Understanding from the book, The Designer's Manual. Pattern-based thinking was common in the ancients, using dance and song to disperse information rather than just writing. Now we rely much too heavily on material-based thinking and need to swing back to a better balance of knowledge dissemination and tradition preservation. In Permaculture, a Designer's Manual, Bill writes, quote, I believe that unless we adapt sophisticated Aboriginal belief systems and learn respect for all life, then we will lose our own. After Bill found out that the civilization he was a part of destroyed the territories of First Nation Australians, more and more, he went back to study with them again. And in 1955, he wanted to stop this development. So he went into research and academic teaching, and as an environmentalist, began to participate in the environmental policies in Australia. He opposed dam projects, fought for the Declaration of Nature Conservation Reserves, and supported the Aboriginal people in their fight for their rights. During the campaign against the dam on the Franklin River in Tasmania in the 1970s, while he was a lecturer at the university in Hobart, he met his later co-author, David Holmgreen, a landscape planning student. They got into a discussion as to why the agriculture of First Nation Australians had survived all of the time and why modern agriculture was only effective in the relative short term. Furthermore, he explored how Aboriginal concepts of sustainable agriculture could be brought into harmony with new technologies and new scientific findings. Mollison and Holmgreen began to experiment, design and write together. With the help of the Japanese-speaking Aussie Andrew Jeeves, they pulled in the ideas of Masanobu Fukuoka in the One Straw Revolution. They took over the key line concept from Ken Yaomans and Water for Every Farm, written in 1954, and F.H. King's observations of the highly productive agricultural concepts of Asia, Farmers of 40 Centuries, Permanent Agriculture in China, Korea, and Japan, written in 1911. Out of these foundational books, they created a design concept for permanency of human activities with landscapes, waterscapes and forestry, which they called permaculture. Dangers of the rapidly growing use of industrial agriculture methods continued to shape these ideas. It was obvious that conventional agriculture methods were highly dependent on non-renewable resources, linear systems, and were additionally poisoning land and water thereby reducing biodiversity and removing billions of tons of topsoil from previously fertile landscapes. They responded with a radical design approach called permaculture, and this term was first made public with the publication of their first book in 1978, Permaculture One*. As permaculture is a set of several basic principles which are applicable to every climate imaginable, The permaculture design system quickly became further defined and integrated into unrelated spheres of agriculture. This set off a movement to link seemingly separate sciences and areas of classical university departments together. In the next decade, the concept continued to broaden itself from sole focus on agriculture to sustainable human habitats in general. This included buildings and architecture, as well as the design of whole cities. The two continued to write and lecture together, creating more detailed manuals and finally settling on the permaculture design course. They began teaching hundreds of students and contributed to the quick rise and expansion of the concept, which took hold around the world, including in Asia and Central America. In a recent interview, he spoke about how permaculture bridges ancient and modern worldviews. If I go to an old Greek lady sitting in a vineyard and ask, why have you planted roses among your grapes? She will say to me, because the rose is the doctor of the grape. If you don't plant roses, the grapes get ill. Then I can find out that the rose exudes a certain root chemical that is taken up by the grape root, which in turn repels the white fly, which is the scientific way of essentially saying the same thing. In order to talk about the origins of permaculture, we have to talk about decolonization, which brings about the repatriation of indigenous land and life. It is important to note here that native peoples are not mythical relics of the pre-colonial or pre-Columbian Americas. They are not extinct peoples. Native people continue to live and many continue to tend their council fires, which have been maintained for hundreds of continuous years. Many of them continue to resist the process of settler colonization and assimilation. Decolonization is about upholding the long-standing treaties, adherence to international law, and the return of genuine sovereignty and administration of land used to First Nation peoples. Decolonization is about correcting past crimes committed by settlers and returning stolen land. This process should be done without strings attached. I want to make this part clear as a settler myself who sees value and importance in enacting these principles now, questions of what happens to present settler peoples is secondary to the act of returning native land to native peoples. It is this facet of decolonization which settlers fear, specifically because it affirms that no guarantee of a settler future exists, of one with rights over stolen land. Determining the future of settler people would be solely up to the indigenous governance of the future. The selfishness of settler people is on full display when confronted with this core principle of decolonization, and what we perceive that we will gain to lose. This concept is complicated by the fact that the ancestors of some settlers of color have been brought here against their will, and this is known as the tangled triad of settler, native, and settler of color. And while settlers of color may experience systematic oppression at the hands of the currently designed economic political system, they are also a settler people. And because of this, they have a stake in the continuation of the colonial project. Understanding this is how the United States became the colonial project it is today is essential to decolonizing permaculture. And just as Bill Mollison supported and credited First Nation Australians as the founders of these teachings and concepts, We need to support indigenous nations across the world in their fight for sovereignty and stewardship over the planet. I'm particularly inspired by the organization called Honor the Earth. Honor the Earth's mission is to create awareness and support for native environmental issues and to develop needed financial and political resources for the survival of sustainable native communities. Honor the Earth develops these resources by using music, the arts, the media, and indigenous wisdom to ask people to recognize our joint dependency on the earth and to be a voice for those not heard. Go to honortheearth.org to learn more. My concern with the current trendiness towards permaculture, organics, and market gardening is this. How can we expect to be designers of an ecological future if we don't understand our past? Indigenous communities understood that interventions to the land make a lasting impact on everything around it and everything nourished by it. When we decide to make interventions to the land today, we only think about the ways in which it's going to benefit us as settler people. It's a settler-centric, human-centric approach, and it ultimately means that we are breaking these closed-loop systems that nature provides for us and using them for our own purposes, like gluttony or convenience. When we hope to build a regenerative future amidst what is sure to be climate chaos, how can we accomplish this while continuing to systematically benefit from the genocide of indigenous people? We cannot. We cannot continue to own stolen land. We can be stewards with our actions, bringing about the proliferation of native plants and animals, building topsoil, and fighting corporations that seek to exploit the earth. The phrase indigenous permaculture is a living and evolving framework for reclaiming indigenous agricultural and horticultural knowledge as sacred and rightfully theirs. Permaculture, organic farming, and every regenerative practice on the planet was discovered and passed down to indigenous people from their ancestors. Because of this, we must have the utmost respect for indigenous contributions to the field. We must devalue those who seek to steal and appropriate the work of indigenous thinkers. We must lift the voices of indigenous masters of their crafts and give back to their communities, supporting their work is essential to the healing of the planet. Secondly, we must recognize that across the world, there are many similar philosophies among indigenous people in regards to respect for the earth and the appreciation for natural systems and minimizing interventions. However, ecological knowledge is always site specific. The plants, animals, fungi, and soil microbes are different everywhere you go, and we must not be arrogant enough to assume that we know and understand it all. Traditional knowledge was disseminated not by books but through cultural traditions. These traditions take time and skill to learn and appreciate, and we must not generalize the vastly diverse contributions that exist in favor of collapsing them into the term indigenous. Contemporary permaculture must confront that we live in a colonial society, which continually benefits from colonial processes. This is not something that occurred in the past and we can move on from. The effects of colonization are alive today and threatening indigenous sovereignty through attacking the air, water, land and more. Indigenous people are one of the most threatened groups for modern corporations to exploit and expropriate their lands. And they're backed by state agents who seek to use violence to continue the process into the future. As people who want to live with a more authentic relationship with the earth, we must defend and restore the communities and culture of our local indigenous nations. This is a lifelong process of challenging false narratives of homesteading and settler life which commit erasure in their stake in colonialism. Permaculturalists would also do well to stop using the offensive phrase, quote, we are all indigenous. Settlers could be more accurately described as being an invasive species. You do not need to be native to a place to take responsibility for yourself and whether or not you want to continue participating in settler colonialism and white supremacy. You have a choice to uplift and support indigenous communities whose stolen land you occupy and to use your voice to fight against the expropriation of their land for exploitative interests, and you have a choice to encourage the proliferation of indigenous plants and animals. These should be the focus of the permaculture enthusiast, not the false claims of nativism. Lastly, my hope for those interested in the realms of permaculture are that we can recognize that degrowth and changing our entire way of life is central to the preservation and restoration of the ecology and biosphere at large. Reintegrating domesticity and wilderness, humanity and nature, soil and air, masculine and feminine are all a part of this work. It is not that indigenous people only minimize their interventions to the earth it is that when they did intervene, it was to become a better steward and to protect the biodiversity that this planet has to offer. A simpler way of saying this is that no one invented permaculture, not even the supposed founders. Important ideas and good practices have been stolen from indigenous cultures. These have been mixed with appropriately scaled renewable technologies and low embodied energy materials to try and design the most ecologically elegant solutions for our current problems such as pollution, excessive consumption, resource extraction, tools and practices that rely on the mechanization of uh, agriculture or driven by fossil fuels. These would be all examples of that. In a world of escalating racial tension and conflict, I believe it's time for permaculture to open its eyes and actively seek a process that acknowledges and respects its legacy from indigenous people a process that would actively participate in decolonization and if we can do this we can begin a journey towards a more genuinely polycultural movement. In permaculture there are three core tenets and twelve design principles. The three core tenets are to care for the earth, which means provision for all life systems to continue and multiply, and this is the first principle because without a healthy earth humans can't live, can't continue to flourish and neither can anything else on the planet the second tenant is care for the people enough provisions for people to access all the resources that are necessary for their existence and the third tenet is fair share by governing our own needs we can set resources aside to further all the above principles and return waste systems back to recycle into usefulness etc etc the 12 design principles uh, were outlaid in the book, Permaculture Principles and Pathways Beyond Sustainability. Uh, this was written by David Holmgreen. The first is to observe and interact. By taking time to engage with nature, we can design solutions that suit our particular situation. The second is catch and store energy. By developing systems that collect resources at peak abundance, we can use them and times that we need them. The third is to obtain a yield. Ensure that you're getting truly useful rewards as part of the work you're doing. The fourth is apply self-regulation and accept feedback. We have to discourage inappropriate activity to ensure that systems can continue to function. Five is use and value renewable resources and services to make the best of nature's abundance and reduce our consumptive behavior, as well as dependence on non-renewables. Number six is produce no waste. By valuing and making use of all the resources that are available to us, nothing goes to waste. Seven is design from patterns to details. By stepping back, we can observe patterns in nature and society. These can form the backbone of our designs with the details filled in as we go. Eight is integrate rather than segregate. By putting the right things in the right place, relationships develop between those things and work together to support each other. Nine is use small and slow solutions. Those systems are easier to maintain and make better use of local resources. 10 is use and value diversity. Diversity reduces vulnerability. It helps ward off threats and takes advantage of the unique nature of the environment in which it resides. 11 is use edges and value the marginal. The interface between things is where the most interesting events take place. These are often the most valuable, diverse, and productive elements within your system. And the last principle of the 12 design principles is creatively use and respond to change. We all have a positive impact in in inevitable change by carefully observing and intervening at the right time. After hearing the three core tenets of permaculture and the 12 design principles, we can see that participating in a process of decolonization is essential to the success of using permaculture methods appropriately. To care for the earth, care for people, and make sure everyone is able to get their needs met, we must center and uplift the work of indigenous teachers while making serious changes to our way of life. This means making an effort to support the causes which confront the environmental devastation propelled by capitalism. This means reducing our consumption and designing new buildings and structures which can support a permanently sustainable way of life on the planet once again. This commitment to permaculture is deeper than some fancy design principles. It's about living by Earth's natural systems in order to live a life of abundance and equity with other living beings on our shared planet. We don't have a lot of time to make these decisions, and I believe that the principles of permaculture are helpful to getting us to where we need to go. So I try to share them when I can. Every time we are able to supplement and make small transitional changes, we are a part of a larger force of decolonizing the planet and returning the land to those whose traditions reflect this respect for our collective home. In part two, I'll be discussing the multi-step processes of creating closed-loop systems with permaculture. This includes compost, land remediation, gardening with animals to build soil, and making decisions and assessments as you learn. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please share it with someone who would enjoy it. I'm on Apple Podcasts as Someone Somewhere, so please subscribe and rate me so that more folks can find the show. This episode was brought to you by Ocean State Organics. To support our efforts, you can donate to us at www.patreon.com slash organics and there you'll also find all of our farming blogs and resources in one place so go and check it out hopefully you can find some interesting information that can be useful before spring comes uh, this concludes episode 22 of the someone somewhere podcast good night